Good morning. How's everybody today? Good? Yeah? <laughs> well, those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm Scott Stake, one of the pastors here. And uh, it's great to have you with us. If you are new with us this morning, um, you, you gathered here on a Sunday when we are walking through a new summer series. We started a couple weeks ago called Truth Matters. And uh, we have, as a leadership um, decided that we want to put forward to our church uh, gospel, the Gospel Coalition Statement of Faith for us to adopt as our Statement of Faith. And the Gospel Coalition Statement of Faith, um, it's, adopt, it's been adopted by, by hundreds of churches, not only here in the U.S., but also around the world. And um, we have decided that we want to walk through this Statement of Faith article by article. Um, we, there's 13 articles, and so we're taking 13 Sundays to do that. And so you, we have um, launched into... Today, we're going to launch into article number three. And uh, we're entitling this sermon, God Designing. And the idea here is that we're going to be talking about the nature of mankind and how we are made to relate to one another as male and female. And uh, speaking of relating, um, Julia and I, my wife and I, we celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary this past week. Yes. Yeah, um, we actually got married just down the road at East Hill Baptist, and it's hard to believe, um, but uh, man, it was, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, 13 years celebrating, we, um, we had a nice dinner at Andrew's 228, and, uh, and then we went, watched a movie, and then we had no kids in the house, and that's like huge. We slept in until 9 o'clock, which is amazing. I know that sounds crazy for you guys who are in college, but that's huge for us, and uh, and then we got to go to Peche Mignon and have some pastries, some French pastries yesterday. And it was, a, uh, it was a sweet time. And so we love celebrating marriage. It's a good thing to celebrate, right? But uh, the reality is um, the world that we live in now celebrates things quite differently than even 13 years ago whenever Julia and I were married. Um, our world now is celebrating Caitlyn Jenner. If you guys aren't familiar with that story, you know, Bruce Jenner was an amazing Olympic decathlete competing against other men. And now this past week um, on Vanity Fair as Caitlyn Jenner. And our world celebrates that. Um, or our world celebrates the fact that the super, uh, super, the uh, Supreme Court is uh, going to be making a decision this summer on um, homosexual marriage and whether the homosexuals have a right to marry. That's something that our world celebrates. Our world celebrates uh, two men adopting a little girl um, as two dads. And all of those things are, are totally different than even just 13 years ago when Julie and I first were married. And um, there seems to be this dominant sort of cultural narrative that we live in now that basically says, be yourself. Be yourself. Sexual desires and expression are crucial to your personal identity. And you are free to live however you see fit. You don't need anybody else telling you how to live. And so our, our world is rapidly changing in addition to transgender issues and homosexual relationships. Um, heterosexual relationships in the U.S. are quite different as well. Um, a lot more uh, men and women are living together before being married. And in addition to that, the highest rate ever of, of marriages are ending in divorce. There's broken families. There's single-parent homes. There's latchkey kids. There's tons of abuse and neglect and um, lots of sin and selfishness. And so we live in a very different world, a broken world. And, and guys, we need lots of wisdom for how to not only order our own lives, but then also how to relate to those who have differences of opinion on how they are to live 
their own and they think differently than us. And so for some of us who grew up in a Christian home, uh, like me, uh, we may have a hard time relating or understanding uh, the way our culture is, is moving. But for those of us in this room, this hits on real struggle, uh, real pain, uh, real hardships, um, confusion. Uh, it hits on people that we love and are very close to us. And if the church must be anything, she must be a place for those who are experiencing gender confusion, uh, who have same-sex attraction, who are sexually broken, and for the ones who are just confused. Because um, the reality is, if we're a true church, we believe in a gospel for the broken. We believe in a gospel for the fact that we all are um, in need of grace and forgiveness. And so my hope this morning is that as we're presenting God's truth to you, we're also presenting it in a way where there's grace and there's mercy and there's opportunity for conversation there's opportunity to engage with one another who have differences of opinion. And so here's what I want to do. There's no way that I can hit all of the issues uh, this morning. What I want to do is articulate a basic biblical framework for what God says about men and women and how we're to relate to one another. And then give you some key principles for how you can apply it to your particular context that you live in. And uh, so let's pray. Let's ask God for help in this. God, we just want to come to you this morning and we ask you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, This is a huge topic, and uh, it's one that we need lots of wisdom for. I pray that your spirit would give us clarity, that your spirit would give us wisdom. I pray that your spirit would give me um, the right words to say and and to do so in such a way that it's filled with grace um, for those who are here this morning. And uh, we just ask that your truth would compel us to live in a way that you want us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned before, we are adopting the Gospel Coalition's Statement of Faith is what we're proposing to you as the membership to adopt at the end of the summer. And so let's start with Article 3. It's a pretty lengthy article. It's in your worship guide there. I think it'll also be on the screen. Um, But let me read it to you, and this is what we're proposing uh, to adopt. So this is what it says. We believe that God created human beings, male and female, in his own image. Adam and Eve belong to the created order that God himself declared to be very good serving as God's agents to care for, manage, and govern creation, living in holy and devoted fellowship with their maker. Men and women, equally made in the image of God, enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus and are both called to move beyond passive self-indulgence to significant private and public engagement in family, church, and civic life. Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in a one-flesh union that establishes the only normative pattern of sexual relations for men and women, such that marriage ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and the church. In God's wise purposes, men and women are not simply interchangeable, but rather they complement each other in mutually enriching ways. God ordains that they assume distinctive roles which reflect the loving relationship between Christ and the church, the husband exercising headship in a way that displays the caring, sacrificial love of Christ, and the wife submitting to her husband in a way that models the love of the church for her Lord. In the ministry of the church, both men and women are encouraged to serve Christ and to be developed to their full potential in the manifold ministries of the people of God. The distinctive leadership role within the church given to qualified men is grounded in creation, fall, and redemption and must not be sidelined by appeals to cultural developments. All right, two points to the sermon this morning. And they really flow out of this article. The first one is this, that God made men and women in his image equal. God made men and women in his image equal. Second point, God made men and women in his image different. Okay? So equal and different. 
Um, if you want to turn with me, uh, turn to chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. Um, this is a very familiar passage of scripture. And when we want to talk about the roles of men and women, we need to go back to creation and look at the way that God originally designed us as male and female. Before sin, before the fall, this is the way God originally presents men and women. And uh, here's the picture in the very beginning. As we learned a couple of weeks ago, or excuse me, last week, uh, God speaks. He reveals himself. And one of the ways he reveals himself is through creation. Uh, and, he, and God makes all these beautiful things that we look out and we see every day. And uh, God says, all of these things are good. They bring glory to me. They bring honor to me. And then, day six, God saves the best for last. The crown jewel of all of his creation is mankind. And so I want to read to you, starting in verse uh, 26 of chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then jump down to verse 31. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So the first thing that we need to wrap our minds around is this, (laughs) that God made us. He designed us as male and female in his image. We aren't just a blob that morphed into some sort of higher life form. We aren't just like a smart monkey that can do some extra tricks. Uh, We are men and women made in the image of God. We have an intrinsic sort of human dignity that places us above everything else in the created order. We're not just physical beings, but we can think, we can feel, we can relate, and we can even worship And we are called as men and women to mirror God's image as we we demonstrate his godly attributes and his characteristics. And so um, when David, when David thinks on this, King David in Psalm 8, he he just is astonished. And And he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him, how you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. And so when we think about this, we should be like David and say, wow, of all the things, God, you have made me in your image. You've given me purposes on the earth that no other created being can experience. We've got intrinsic value and worth, and as men and women, as male and female, we equally bear his image. That's amazing. That's astonishing. But how does that really look? I mean, how does that work for us to be equally created in the image of God? And there's two key things I just want to point out to you from this text. Um, One is this, is that we are equally created for God. Um, Verse 26, what does it say there? It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so I don't know if you caught that, but did you catch those plural pronouns? Um, This is the Trinity speaking to one another. This is a triune God as Father, Son, and Spirit relating to one another, enjoying fellowship with one another, experiencing all the life and congruity that they can experience together. It's perfect communion. And then they say, hey, 
Let's make man in our image. Let's, let's make man and woman to relate to us and to relate to one another as we relate. In other words, humans are to be relational. We are to be connected with God and with others in a deep and profound way. And so when we drill down to the core of who we are, we're not to be isolated. Rather, men and women are created by God to live in communion with him and with one another. And this is the reason why Jesus came to die. You know, sin had broken the relationship with God, broken relationships between men and women, and he came to take our punishment so that we as men and women could be reconciled to God. We are created for God. And as Christians, um, men and women stand on equal ground in this regard. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 7 says that men and women are co-heirs of the grace of life. In other words, um, all of the blessings that come from being a child of God are experienced by both men and women equally. Men aren't on some sort of higher, you know, one up on the totem pole where we have a higher access to God. No, Jesus came to die for both male and female in order for us to be able to be reconciled to God and enjoy fellowship with him and receive all that God has for us. I remember, um, you guys probably were, uh, many of you were here for the baptism that happened a couple, uh, a couple months ago, and several people were baptized, and there were three people in particular who um, referenced their struggles with self-worth and with doubt, and even uh, struggles with suicide, attempted suicide, and uh, they shared how, what happened when they found their meaning and their significance in God and how they became relationally connected with God, God began to replace all those thoughts and feelings of I don't belong or no one loves me with the truth that God created them in his image. He created them to have a relationship with him and it destroyed all of those lies of the enemy. And so the reality is that we are all, as men and women, created in the image of God, created for God. But not only that, we're also equally created for good. Um, Verse 28 says, God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And he says, go go and have dominion over the fish of the sea and birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so after God makes man and woman in his image, he blesses them, and then he gives them good work to be a part of. Um, He gives them good work because God is a good worker. He's a creator. And he says, I've made you in my image and I've created you for good. I want you both male and female to to create and to work and to to give order to all of God's creation. And in addition, when we become Christians, uh, God equally gives gifts of the Spirit to both men and women. Uh, Gender is not a determining factor on whether you have the gift of teaching or the gift of encouragement. God says, I give all of those gifts to both male and female to use them in the way that I design. And so men and women are equally uh, made and created for good works. And when we become Christians, we're equally created to serve in the church and in creation. And we had a, I wasn't there, but we had an amazing gathering of women on um, Wednesday night. Uh, In addition, of course, to enjoying all sorts of talking and lemonade. Uh, The primary focus of the night was really to talk about serving and how women are made in the image of God to use their gifts to serve in their community. And this is what we desire here at Four Oaks. We want for men and women equally made in the image of God to, to recognize how much God has given to them, be created equally in God's image to enjoy fellowship with God, 
to enjoy fellowship with one another, and then also to be created for good works, to serve our, to serve our church, to serve our families, to serve our world. So, equally created in the image of God, but we also, what's point two? God created us in the image of God as male and female, different. And there are lots of differences that we could talk about. Biological differences, um, physiological differences, the differences in male and female brains, um, lots of different ways that we are different. But the primary one that we're going to focus on this morning in Genesis is the fact that God gave us different roles. Uh, And so turn with me one chapter over to chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says, In the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then jumping down to 20b, it says, But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the Lord said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is a beautiful passage of scripture. Uh, and there's grace, there's harmony to it. Um, but as we, and as we watch Adam, you know, he's falling asleep and then God takes a rib out of his side and forms this beautiful woman. And then, and then God presents to Adam his bride. And, uh, and then Adam, he just jumps out with poetry. He's like, oh, you know, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Guys, take some notes. Write down some poetry for your lady. Um, it works, it works. Um, so but what I really want to see from this is that there's this creation account where in order for there to be harmony in the relationship, there must be a difference in roles. Um, for those of you who know music, uh, you know that harmony is really important in order to create a beautiful piece of music. You can't have all the notes in unison. It just doesn't sound very good. But when there's equally yet different notes that are played together, it creates this beautiful Beautiful harmony, beautiful piece of music. And that's the same way that it is that we see here in, the, in marriage. In this drama, we, we see equally important but different roles. And so for the man, we see that man is called the head. Um, we see Adam, who's first created. He's created to take the lead in the relationship. And this is what the Bible calls headship. Um, God gives instructions first for Adam to take primary responsibility. Uh, it's not sole responsibility, but it's primary responsibility for naming the animals and, and giving order to creation. And, uh, and as long as Adam is fulfilling this role as leader, as head, God blesses the relationship and there's good things that happen. And in the same way, we see Eve and she's created and it says that she's created as a helper fit for him. And this phrase, fit for him, it's where we get the idea of what we call complementarianism. It doesn't mean like you give a compliment, you give a high five and say, way to go. What it means is that male and female are created equally in the sight of God with dignity and worth, but there are roles that are to complement one another rather than compete against one another in order to have a vibrant, harmonious sort of relationship. And when you hear, hear the word helper, um, you might think immediately inferiority. That's a lot, a lot of times what we hear from um, from others who have a different perspective. But the reality is, um, actually, God is called our helper. Um, Exodus 18.4, it says that God is my helper. Um, Psalm 33.20, it says, 
Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And so in the same way that God helps his children who have primary responsibility for living out their faith, um, God comes alongside of his children in the same way the women are called to come alongside of their husbands and to help them as the primary one who's responsible. And so I want to, hear, I want you to, clear, I want to clarify this too. Uh, this is a not a matter of competency, okay? Um, this is a matter of roles and responsibilities. I remember um, Julie and I, we went to Fred Astaire Dance Studio. We had a go- group on like several years ago. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. Have you ever been going to dance? Oh, well, it was quite interesting. Um, when we first walked in, there was this dance instructor. He was, a, he was an interesting sort of guy. Um, but whenever we walked out, the first thing he said, so we're walking on the dance floor, and he goes, I want you to remember one rule on the dance floor. It's a man's world. And we're like, what in the world? <laughs> this guy's crazy. Uh, but what he wanted to communicate was, was from the very beginning, in order for a dance to work, uh, the man has to take the lead and the woman is to follow. And uh, if that happens, then there's actually decent dancing. For me, it had nothing to do with competency. I'm like the worst dancer ever. I am a white man all the way. I have no skill, no, I have nothing. I have nothing. But I will say this, that when, he, when I got on the dance floor, if Julia took the lead, it went even worse than it did if I took the lead. And uh, what he was trying to communicate is that it has it's nothing to do with competency. It has to do with roles and responsibilities. In order to have a beautiful dance, or at least to have some fun, it wasn't beautiful, but at least to have some fun, I had to take the lead and Julia needed to follow. And in the same way, when it comes to the home, when it comes to the church, the men are called to lead and the women are called to follow, to support and to help him in his leadership. But what does that look like practically? I want to talk about some applications here. And first, we're going to talk about how it applies to marriage. Um, Ephesians 5, let's turn over there real quick. Uh, Ephesians 5 really expands upon Genesis 2 in the context of marriage. And uh, in fact, it says that this full idea of headship and helper um, was a mystery until Jesus came. And he made things clear for us. And so we're going to read, um, starting with verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, that's the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so this idea that Paul is talking about here in marriage, he's not saying, oh, let me think of an example about marriage that I could connect it to. Oh yeah, Jesus in the church. That's what it's related to. Now, in fact, it's just the opposite. From the very beginning of time, God has this idea that Jesus was going to come and to sacrifice for his bride. And then marriage is to be a picture of that. And so in verse 25, when it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we are to live out in marriage the way that Jesus lives out marriage 
to his church. In the same way, verse 22 and 23, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so in this drama, the husband is to take his cues from Jesus as the head, and then the wife is to take her cues from God's will for the church. And so the primary responsibility for taking initiative, for taking leadership in the home is to come from the husband, who's ultimately taking his cues from Jesus. Uh, And it's clear from this passage that it is not about rights. It's not about power. It's about responsibility. It's about sacrifice. And so when Jesus comes, he doesn't come on a power trip. He comes on a sacrifice trip. What does it say? Is Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So there's no abuse. There's no bossiness. There's no authoritarianism. There's no arrogance. There's also no laziness or, or absenteeism. Jesus' aim was to initiate and to die for his bride in order to make her pure and spotless and without blemish, in order to make his queen radiant and, spl- and with splendor. That is the aim of Jesus, and that's to be our aim as husbands. Now, Dr. Stenson, uh, he's a seminary president at Southern Seminary, or he's a vice president, I mean, and uh, he taught, he, he wanted to help his boys to understand what it means to be a godly man um, and what it means to ultimately be a godly husband. And so he, had this, he has this phrase that he teaches his boys. That he says, the, bo- the boy goes down, the girl goes free. And so he would have his son say it over and over. The boys go down, the girl goes free. The boy goes down, the girl goes free. And so one day he tells this story. Um, he's in his office in his home and he's watching his boys play. And, uh, and then he sees one of his little boys, and he's, he's in this little red wagon, and uh, he starts to see his boy, like, go over the hill. And uh, he's looking out the window, and he's like, oh, that's not going to be good. That is not going to be good at all. And so, so um, his son, he starts traveling down this hill, and he's getting faster and faster. And all of a sudden, Dr. Stenson also sees this girl on a tricycle, like, coming this way, and it is going to be ugly. It's going to be bad news. And so, he immediately is like, oh man, I got to get out there. And so before he can get out there, though, all of a sudden he sees his boy like, like fly off. He rockets off of his red wagon and, uh, and then he starts going head over tail, ever, you know, just over and over again rolling. And, uh, and so he and his wife, they run down to, to see if he's okay and they bring him back in. They start cleaning up his wounds and then they ask him, well, are you okay, son? And then he, he says, the boy goes down, the girl goes free. And uh, Dr. Stenson is like, yes, he gets it. He gets it. And so, men, we are called to initiate. We're called to sacrifice. And not only that, but we're also called to provide a spiritual vision for our homes, to teach them what it means to truly follow Jesus. And so the burden of leadership is borne by us as it's given to us by our master, Jesus Christ. And when we do that well, well... (laughs) then it's, um, it's amazing how women follow, how our wives will follow us when we lead in that way. But I know when some of you hear this, maybe a lot of you hear this, you immediately just are welled up with fear and anxiety because you have not experienced life this way. Um, whether it's your husband, um, who you've been now divorced from, or, or maybe you're thinking about your parents and the marriage that they had, Um, there has just always been, ever since the fall, there's been a sinful pattern of leadership. And at the fall, just remember this, um, Adam, what is he doing when Eve is tempted by the serpent? 
and you can turn there later in Genesis 3, he's passively watching. He's just watching Eve get tempted. He's not stepping in. He's not seeking to protect her. He's not seeking to take leadership and initiative and say, no, don't follow the serpent. He just watches passively. And then on top of that, he gives in to the temptation as well. And God immediately confronts Adam. He doesn't confront Eve first because Adam is the head. He's the one responsible for the relationship. And he goes to Adam and he says, why have you done this? And what does Adam do? Instead of taking responsibility, he immediately blames his wife. He says, well, she made me do it. And so you see passivity, you see verbal abuse. And then on top of that, you see him blaming God. And he says, well, ultimately, you're the one who made Eve. It's your fault, God. And guys, ever since the beginning of of the fall, ever since the beginning of time, man has not done a good job leading. We've been passive. We've been a violent people. We have not led the way that God has called us to. And when that happens, it's brutally just, it's just awful. We've experienced that as a leadership. We've seen that in a number of marriages, and it's so awful to see this. In fact, when I think about my own problems in my marriage, it all has to do with selfishness. I just don't want to serve my wife. And when I don't want to serve my wife, it goes poorly. And the same thing for her when she doesn't want to serve me. It goes poorly. And so I want, to, I want you to hear this, that, that if, you're, if you've experienced that in your life, I just want to tell you that I am sorry. I'm sorry for that. Um, and not only that, but just as, as God took Adam to task for his failure of leadership, I want you to hear this, that God is a righteous judge and that he will judge all men who have not led well. He will call them to account. He will judge them rightly. But at the same time, I also want you to hear this, that Jesus came to bring hope, to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation And he also came to bring us an example to follow. And so my counsel to you is if you're one who has been abused or been neglected or been abandoned, I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to look to him as your perfect husband, as the one who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who will always be with you. I want you to enjoy fellowship with him. And then in addition to that, I want you to to remember that he loves you and that uh, there, is, there is hope for the future. I don't know what God might have for you, whether it's in this life or the life to come, but you will enjoy a perfect relationship with God, and I pray that you would enjoy that same sort of relationship with a godly husband. And we've seen many stories like that in our church as well. And men, I want you to think about this, and I want you to look to Jesus as your example. I need to look to Jesus as my example, as the one who sacrifices, the one who takes responsibility as the one who puts his life on the line. And we need to follow his example. And when we sin, male, female, when we sin, uh, which we will, we ultimately also look to Jesus as our Savior, as the one who brings forgiveness, as the one who brings cleansing, as the one who will bring restoration as we entrust our lives to him. There's lots of other things that I could say uh, about marriage, um, and in particular, this passes. But what I thought I'd do just for the next couple minutes uh, is I reached out to um, several of our elders and their wives who have been married for like 100 years. I'm just kidding. They haven't married that long. But um, uh, I thought it'd be good just for you to hear a little bit about how this plays out in their marriage. And I wish I could read all the quotes. Um, but I, I chose two, um, two different couples to share with you just a little bit. And you can follow on the screen these quotes and I'll read them to you as well. So the first one is from Jeff and Mary the Schaefer. And, uh, and this is what Jeff says. He says, Men and women have unique roles to play in marriage. One is not greater than the other. 
I am called to lead with love and care. Meredith is called to submit in the home and place family as her priority. The only way I can truly lead in this way is on my knees in prayer. And then Meredith adds, she says, After 30 years of living for ourselves and being filled with the philosophy of the world, God graciously saved us and began to teach us what a biblical marriage looked like, namely Christ and his church. I exist to compliment and honor Jeff rather than compete and be his rival in leadership. And together, we diligently endeavor to be filled with God's spirit and word and walk in his way. So here's a quick summary of Jeff and Meredith. They, you know, Jeff is saying, men are called to lead, but they're to do that with love, with care, with service, and with prayer. And then Meredith says, and I'm called to follow. I'm called to honor. I'm called to compliment rather than compete with my husband. And, I'm all, and ultimately, both of us need to ask God for help. We need to ask for God's spirit to guide us and to help us as we seek to live this out in our marriage. And so that's Jeff and Meredith. Another couple, David and Kim Hughes. This is what David says. Kim and I are equal in our standing before God, but serve in differing roles and capacities as a couple. When it's time for a decision to be made, easy or difficult, the final responsibility rests with me. But one way I do this is to gain Kim's input and wisdom. She has a wonderful relationship with the Lord, and he has gifted her in many ways. Therefore, I must listen to her, especially when we have differing views on a subject, consider her input, and still seek the Lord for the answer I must give. And then Kim adds this. She says, It would be helpful if women understood what a privilege it is to get to represent the bride and the bridegroom to the world. At times early on, I was afraid to speak my mind very strongly. This was before she was a Christian. And then she became a, they, be, they both became Christians. And then she says this. And so, so we made all the difference. Uh, what made all the difference is that we made an agreement that I could speak my mind on an issue at whatever volume and intensity that I felt it. I can't imagine Kim Hughes like yelling. That would, like, she'd be like, David, David. <laughs> if anybody knew Kim, I can't imagine her bringing a high volume. But anyway, she goes on. She says, but if David felt the Lord said something different, he would promise me to do that and not what I wanted. Then I felt secure to be as honest and straightforward as possible. And so here we see David and and Kim, and they're saying men and women are equal, but they're also different. Men are to seek input from their wives. Um, They're to try to honor their wives, to listen uh, for their wisdom. Uh, But ultimately, the final decision rests with the husband. So here's a couple application questions for, for those of you who are married. Husbands, how are you doing at leading through sacrificial love, care, and concern for your wife? Do you have a spiritual vision for your marriage? And are you living that out? Um, are you pointing your wife to Christ? Uh, are you washing her with the word? And are you living out the word in front of her? And then wives, how are you doing at encouraging your husbands? Um, are you building him up or are you tearing him down as soon as he makes a mistake? Are you quick to critique or are you quick to encourage? Um, are you affirming him and loving him and caring for him? And then also, if, you're, if your husband's not doing well, are you quick to pray for him? And if necessary, and this might even be some of you here today, are you, are you seeking out counsel and care from those in leadership in the church? And that kind of brings us then to an application for the church. So we talked about how complementary roles apply to the, to the home. We're going to talk about how it applies to the church real quickly. We don't have time to develop this argument very long, but here's the, here's the verse um, that would be helpful for you to, to read. 
Uh, 1 Timothy 2.12, it says, um, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. In the context, this is not, this is not talking about society. This is talking about in the church, okay? And so we take that to mean that the primary responsibility for these two tasks, there's two tasks that are listed here, teaching and exercising authority over a man. Those two tasks are given to spiritually mature, godly men. Just like in the home, a man is, a spiritually mature man is called to lead the home. Well, in the same way, in the church, godly men are set aside to demonstrate servant leadership like Jesus, to love and to care for the whole church, to provide spiritual vision, to provide leadership, to provide oversight, to provide teaching. And here at Four Oaks, we apply that in the context of our elders. So we have 17 elders um, who, who serve in that way. Uh, and then as a church, both men and women who are not in the office of elder, every other ministry is an opportunity for you to serve in. And also you're called to submit to those in leadership in our church. And we'll talk more about that later on with another article um, that we'll go through in the summer. But for right now, just know that, um, that we as a, as a church are applying this, this principle of headship and helper in the context of the home and in the context of the church. All right, let me make one more application. Um, because some of you, in fact, a lot of you aren't married. And uh, either you've never been married or you're not married now. And so I'm sure you're probably wondering like, well, how does this relate to me? I'm glad you're out wondering that and asking that. And I think, here's the first thing I want to say to you. That um, a lot of times with complementarian, you hear the word complementarian, you immediately think, uh, and a lot of times we'll even define it this way, that it's applied in the marriage and only in the marriage. And the reality is that is just not true. And I think we've done a disservice to those of you who aren't married. Um, and so I want to say this to you right now, that, that you are made in the image of God. You have equal worth, equal value. Uh, married, unmarried, you are equally before the Lord and you bring much to the equation. In fact, if you think about you know, who's the greatest human of all, it's Jesus and he was not married. Um, and you think about Paul, and he's this huge um, leader in our church, the greatest missionary ever, and he was not married. So if you're not married, it doesn't mean that you're less than or you're less important. In fact, you're equally valuable. And in fact, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, you know, whether you're married or you're not married, it is a gift. And then he says, I wish that all of you could be like me and be single so you can have this single-minded devotion to the Lord and to serve in the way that I'm called to serve. So saying that, um, there's still the question is, that, but, but how do I live out complementary sort of relationships as a single man or a single woman? Uh, well, I reached out to a few of you uh, who, are, who are single, and I uh, thought I'd, I'd just read to you what, what was said. I chose two quotes um, from a single man and then from a single, single woman. I want to read these to you and just make a couple comments on them. So uh, this, is, this is from the single guy. It says, I want to view singleness the way that Paul did. Simply the providential stage of life God has determined me to be in. Oftentimes when we identify ourselves as single, what we really mean is we are responsible only to ourselves. But this is not true. Paul was single, and yet he identified himself as an apostle, a brother, a spiritual father, a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, and a friend. In that sense, none of us are really single. We are responsible to be faithful brothers, friends, church members, and servants. We still have a role to play, and in that role we manifest our masculinity in the way that we lead, protect, and sacrifice. 
Paul evangelized fearlessly. He prayed boldly. He stood up for the truth. He made himself a servant to all. He spent himself for the sake of Christ. He did not wait until marriage to be a man. And neither should we. All right, here's um, a quote from a, a single woman in our church. Submission to authority is a scary thing for my generation. We've been raised to reject anything that might prevent us from doing what we want when we want. We keep God at a distance and claim independence so that we do not have to be under the authority of someone who might tell us we're wrong. But that is exactly why being submitted to leadership, especially in the church, is important. God's word, his spirit, and godly counsel are how God refines and conforms us into the image of Christ. Without them, we are prone to be willfully blind to the sin in our lives. Knowing that the men lead the church, leading the church offers spiritual guidance, leadership, and counsel is comforting for me as a single woman. I want them to teach me what godly leadership and sacrificial love looks like and to learn how to submit to the spiritual authority God has placed in my life now so to prepare me for marriage later. Um, in summary, here's, here's a few thing, things I think is important for those of you who aren't married um, or may, and maybe never will be married. A few things I think it's really important. Number one, uh, we hear in these quotes to be meaningfully connected with others in the body of Christ. So when you think single, don't think disconnected or independent. Um, think single is an opportunity to relate. Remember, we're made in the, made in the image of God, and so we're, we're called to not only relate to him, but also to relate to one another. And so be meaningfully connected to the body of Christ. Number two, um, look for ways to serve and to maximize your singleness. I wish I could have read the whole quote from, from uh, the single girl, but she said, Man, one of the ways that I, I really enjoy uh, my singleness is I have an opportunity to serve families. I have an opportunity to serve in the church on Sundays. I just love being able to serve others because I have more freedom to be able to do that. And I uh, would really encourage you to maximize this season of life that you have. Um, to devote to the Lord. Third thing uh, that we hear from these quotes is to seek counsel and, uh, and to submit to godly leadership. So you're not autonomous um, and you're not, you're not on your own. Those who are, are not married, it doesn't mean that you don't have any help. In fact, um, there are many people in this body who want to help you, who want to encourage you, who want to give counsel to you, who want to give wisdom to you. And I'm so encouraged by, by so many of you who are here who have done that. And uh, you you serve as a great example. Uh, The last thing I think it's important to recognize too is that um, it's hard, but it's really to encourage you to be content where God has you. Um, So often we kind of look to, you know, if if I'm single, if only I were married, then all my problems would be solved. There's just new problems. Um, And and so I want to encourage you to just be, be content where God has you for however long that is. And uh, and whether we're married or we're not, the only solution to our problems is Christ. Jesus is the one who meets us where we're at. And so uh, when Paul is talking about contentment, he says, whether I'm in plenty or I'm in want, I want to be content with Christ and know that he's given me all that I need, that he's put me in this situation in life uh, because it's what's best for me. And I need to trust him in that. All right, so we talked about the roles of men and women, how they're equal, um, how, how men and women are made equal in the image of God, but there's also differences. And we talked about how it applies in the home and the church and in singleness as well. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to hear this. This is tough. <laughs> we need lots of grace. And we need, to re- we need to only receive it, but we also need to give it to one another. 
Um, and we also need to be really patient and understanding with those who come from differing backgrounds. Um, this is not just a problem to be solved right away. This is really a situation to be managed all the time. And we need lots of grace for one another. And, uh, and here's the deal too. Um, those who come from a different perspective, especially those outside the church, we do not need to bash them over the head with, this is what God says. That is exactly the opposite. What we need to do is live out what God has called us to. Um, we need to live as, as husbands, we live in a way that really reflects Jesus to the world. It says this is who Jesus is. He came to die for his bride. He came to serve his wife. Um, and, as, and as women, in the context of marriage, to live out in such a way that, now th- this is a good thing when I'm supporting my husband, when I'm valuing his leadership, when I'm affirming him instead of being autonomous and trying to be authoritarian and rule in the way that only I want. It's a good thing. This is the way God designed it. And to live in such a way that we really present to the world, this is how God made things, and this is, will go well as we're living out in the way that God designed. And then for those of you who aren't married, um, as you're engaging with the body of Christ, as you're seeking out relationships, as you're serving, rather than just being independent and, and being autonomous and not being around others, um, that is a huge blessing to our, to our world that so oftentimes is independent and says, I don't want to be around others. I don't want to be meaningfully connected to others. And we can tell them, no, you are made in the image of God. You're made to relate to God and to relate to one another in a meaningful and profound way. And so guys, this is, this is challenging, but this is good. And this is the way that God made us to live. Uh, there's lots of other issues that I wish we could cover today, but I hope that gives you some basic ideas of how we can live in a way that God designed. Let's pray. God, we just want to come to you this morning and and thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he died for us, uh, that he was the ultimate God-man, that he took 